Welcome to the fifth podcast in this series, Parliament Explained. I'm Mira Sayal, and in this series, I'm exploring exactly what happens in Parliament. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. Last time, we heard how select committees can keep the work of the government in check and help shape future policy. Today, we'll be talking about the legislative process, exploring exactly how laws are made or changed. We'll begin by finding out about draft laws, known as bills, starting with what a bill looks like and why there are different types of bill. Then, we'll look in some depth at the set parliamentary stages one kind of bill, a public bill, has to progress through before it can become law. As we do this, we'll highlight those occasions when Parliament actively welcomes input from the public or where it may have most effect. We'll also explain why some bills are more likely than others to pass all these stages successfully and become law. After we've described the lawmaking process, we'll then consider the effect that changes in the law can have on individuals and on society. And we'll hear about a series of short case studies. But let's begin with a question. Why do we need new laws? We're in a very fast-changing world and the laws do need to change. Conventions, cultures change, um, situations change, and we become more aware of issues that people are having with perhaps the old laws. We need to make sure our laws keep pace with modern life. Obviously with internet, technology advances and stuff like that, previously like non-existent problems have come to the front now, so obviously you need more laws. Yeah, because um, society today is changing as well, so it kind of makes sense that you regulate the laws. Times have changed. We need to change laws, yes. Reflect new relationships with other countries. Great strides are being made in medicine. You have to make sure that the laws reflect the people that are around you. The more that people move through generations and people have got different jobs and the economy changes, people's house prices rocket, wages vary. If you believe in the nuclear family as a major social unit, then your entire legal system might be based around the idea that people have two-person relationships. The ethical and demographic landscape of a country is constantly changing. Pressure for a change in the law can come from any number of sources. An individual case that hits the headlines, a media campaign by a pressure group, lobbying by big industries or small business groups. Perhaps new medical research leads to a call for a change in the law or a loophole that needs closing is identified by police or lawyers. And of course, a newly elected government may feel it has a legitimate mandate to make changes in the law if these were promised in its election manifesto. All of these factors and many others can lead to new proposals coming before Parliament because no matter who suggests changing the law in the UK, it is only Parliament that can actually make it happen. In parliamentary terms, a draft law is known as a bill. Only if Parliament approves a bill does it then become an Act of Parliament. Most bills that come before Parliament are known as public bills. To tell us more about public bills, we spoke to Katie Stout, clerk in the House of Commons Public Bill Office. Public bills change the law as it applies to the general population as a whole and it's public bills proposed by the government that are what the House of Commons and the House of Lords spend the majority of their time debating and scrutinising. A government bill can start in either house, so the Commons or the Lords, and they are the most likely kind of bill to make progress. 
This is because it's the government whips that allocate time in either chamber so they're able to give priority to government business. Changes might be made to a government bill throughout its passage, but generally these bills do pass all the required stages and eventually become law. Public bills can also be proposed by backbenchers, and these are known as private members' bills, distinguishing from government bills. However, because parliamentary time is set by the government, very little time is set aside to debate and scrutinise private members' bills. Therefore, only a handful of these types of bills will pass all the necessary stages to become law. There are other kinds of bills, however. To tell us more, here is Nicole Mason, who is clerk in the House of Lords Legislation Office. Aside from public bills, the other types of bills that come before Parliament are private bills and hybrid bills. These bills are concerned with private interests, um, so they affect certain people more than the general population. A private bill only changes the law as it applies to certain organisations or specific individuals. So, for example, a private bill might be required to extend the powers of a public body, like a local council or to change the management of Transport for London. A hybrid bill, as the name suggests, has characteristics of both a public and a private bill. It affects the general public, but also has a significant impact on specific individuals or groups. For example, the High Speed Rail London to West Midlands Bill 2013-14 is a hybrid bill, as it could affect the public in general, but could also specifically affect the people that live or work along the proposed route. There are far fewer of these and different procedures apply to them. For example, because it affects certain people more than others, um, there are petitioning procedures, which means that people can write or um, come into Parliament to tell Parliament how the bill will affect them. Unlike most public bills, which are normally passed within a single session, a private or hybrid bill can take several years to complete its stages and become law. So what does a bill actually look like? We spoke to Katie Stout. Bills vary massively in size and scope, but there is always a set format. Every bill has both a short title and a long title. The short title is just the name of the bill, and if the bill was introduced in the Lords, a reference to the Lords is included in this short title. For example, the Childcare Bill was known as the Childcare Bill HL. The short title will also state the parliamentary session in which the bill has been introduced. The long title, however, is more descriptive and conveys the purpose and the scope of the bill. So in the case of the Childcare Bill, its long title was a bill to make provision about free childcare for young children of working parents and about the publication of information about childcare and related matters by local authorities in England. Government bills are drafted by a team of specialist lawyers. They make sure the words and the terms in the bill are used precisely and consistently and that they fit in properly with the current law. This is to avoid any ambiguity or possible misinterpretation. If a member of the Commons or the Lords wants to make a change to a bill, they do this by proposing that words or sections of the bill should be removed, replaced or added to the text. This is known as tabling an amendment. Now we know more about what bills are, let's find out how they actually make their way through Parliament. 
A bill goes through Parliament one house at a time and must have passed all its stages in the first house before it can start its journey through the second. A bill can start in either house and the stages in each house are broadly the same. At the beginning of a session, government bills are divided up, so there are bills starting in each house. This helps balance the work over a year. At the start of a new parliamentary session, which is usually in May, the monarch makes a speech which sets out the government's legislative programme for the year ahead. This normally lists all the major bills that the government intends to bring in, but it may also indicate any draft bills that will be published ahead of formal introduction, and it's then up to the government to timetable the introduction of those bills to either the Commons or the Lords. As we've heard, once they're formally introduced, public bills go through roughly the same set stages of scrutiny in both houses, and it's mostly government bills that complete all of these stages successfully. The steps a bill goes through allow for both general debate and detailed line-by-line -line scrutiny before the final text is agreed. During this process, the House of Commons and House of Lords have the opportunity to check, challenge and suggest changes to a bill. Having said that, any changes made to a bill by one House must also be agreed to by the other House before the bill can be passed. So, let's look in more detail at what happens to a government bill at each stage as it makes its way through Parliament. In this example, we'll take a bill that starts in the House of Commons, though as we've heard, many bills start in the House of Lords instead. As we go through it, we'll also point out the occasions when the public are most able to influence decisions that are made on its contents or progress. The very first stage of the bill's passage through Parliament is the first reading. First reading is the formal introduction of a bill to one or other of the Houses, the House of Commons in our example. The title is read out in the Chamber, but the bill isn't debated at this stage. It's simply allocated an individual bill number and it is ordered to be printed. The bill text is then available online and for members to pick up from either House in hard copy. Order. Presentation of bill. I'm by the way, most grateful to the Minister. Presentation of Bill, Secretary John Whittingdale. Digital Economy Bill. Thank you. Second reading what day? Tomorrow, sir. Tomorrow. Thank you. Next is the second reading. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I beg to move that the bill now be read a second time. Mr Speaker, the background to this bill is that the Government has worked tirelessly over the last six years to embed our school reforms. The second reading of a bill is the first opportunity for the bill to be debated. It's the stage where the overall purpose and principles of the bill have to be agreed to. This is when the major points of contention within the bill start to become clear. After first reading, the bill text is publicly available, so any member of the public can find it online. And it's then that constituents can contact their MP before second reading of a bill and let them know their views. They might also ask their MP if they plan to support or oppose it. People with particular concerns about something in the bill might ask to meet their MP and have the bill explained to them in greater detail before it starts its committee stage. If an MP is sympathetic to a member of the public's concern, it gives him or her time to table an amendment to the bill. If that MP is appointed to the public bill committee, it could be discussed then or later at report stage. The next stage is committee stage, where the bill is considered line by line. 
and this is the first stage where changes can be made to the bill or new clauses added. Committee stage can take several weeks for a large government bill. The committee stage in the House of Commons is the opportunity to scrutinise the bill in detail. In the House of Commons, proceedings on government bills are strictly timetabled, including at committee stage. A public bill committee is usually appointed, made up of a smaller number of MPs, usually around 18 to 20, and they're asked to look at the bill in detail, and they report back to the House by a certain date according to the government's timetable. The committee reflects the makeup of the House as a whole, and so the government always has an inbuilt majority on these committees. So for those members who want to make changes, it's often the case that they will just try to persuade the minister of their case rather than attempt to force a change by voting. For bills that start in the Commons, public bill committees invite experts and interested groups to give evidence on the bill. Individuals or organisations who'd like to be invited can contact members of the committee. The public are also invited to share their views with MPs on the committee by sending in written submissions. The details of how to do this are on Parliament's website. Occasionally, the committee stage of a bill in the House of Commons takes place in the chamber rather than in a committee room. This is known as a committee of the whole House and it means that all MPs can take part. For example, the EU notification of withdrawal bill considered in February 2017 was taken in committee of the whole House. On that basis, I'd be hoping that we'll have support across the House for that amendment. Mm. New Clause 139 requires a substantive vote. Substantive... Yes, I will. Honourable Lady, for giving way. Could she just clarify, would New Clause 26 effectively give the First Minister of Scotland, if she refused to agree, a veto over the exercise of Article 50? Yeah. Honourable member for his interventions, which are always astute, and I will refer him to the wording when it refers specifically to a UK-wide approach to and objectives for the UK negotiations. Those are the Prime Minister's words. The next step is the report stage. Report stage takes place in the chamber after the committee has officially reported the bill back to the House. If changes have been made during the committee stage, the bill will be reprinted before the debate in the chamber and this new version of the bill is what is considered. Report stage in both houses is an opportunity for all members to take part and consider further changes that have been tabled. Some time has passed since we last considered this bill. There was, as honourable members recall, a great deal of cross-party consensus on the provisions at both second reading and in committee stage, and I hope that we'll be able to continue that in the same spirit of constructive debate and healthy scrutiny during today's proceedings. The first group of amendments that we are considering concern the extremely grave matter of gross human rights abuses or violations. In the Commons, the report stage normally takes place over just one or two days and again, proceedings are strictly timetabled. It's generally at a bill's report stage that the more significant or contentious issues are decided one way or another by each House. If anyone except the government wants to make a change to a government bill at this stage, they would need to work pretty hard to build up cross-party support if they want to be successful in a division. Members of the public and pressure groups can also contact MPs ahead of report stage in order to encourage them to support a particular amendment or new clause, should it be put to a vote. And after report stage comes third reading. In the Commons, third reading is normally a fairly brief debate. 
It's when the final decision on whether to pass or reject the bill in its entirety is taken. When a bill passes its third reading, it's then considered to have been passed by that House. Order. The question is that the bill be now read the third time. As many as I've got opinion say aye. Aye. On the contrary, no. I think the ayes have it. The ayes have it. Order. Once a bill has been passed in this way by the House of Commons, it then proceeds to the House of Lords, where a similar series of steps is taken. A bill's first stage in the Lords is also known as the first reading. Like in the Commons, first reading in the Lords doesn't involve a debate. The bill's title is simply read out and then the bill is ordered to be printed. In due course, the date is set for the next stage, which is second reading. The question is that this bill be now read a first time, as many of that opinion will say content, the contrary not content, the contents have like in the Commons, second reading in the Lords is the main opportunity to debate key purposes and principles of the Bill. My Lords, I'm delighted to be opening this uh, important debate on second reading of the Neighbourhood Planning Bill. Few of us here would disagree that our country is suffering from a serious shortage of housing. It is not a new problem, nor unexpected. My Lords, we haven't built enough homes in this country for a very long time. As in the Commons, any member can contribute to the debate, but in practice only members particularly interested in the topic will take part. There is no formal restriction on time taken to debate, but in practice the government whips, in consultation with um, other parties, will often provide guidance as to how long members should speak. There is no limit on the number of members who can take part in the debate. If you want to contact a member of the House of Lords about a bill, but you're not sure who, you should start by looking at the list of speakers at second reading. That's usually a good indication of who will take an active part in the proceedings. If a member is actively involved in the bill at second reading, they'll often stay involved in all the later stages. The second reading of a bill in the Lords very rarely ends in a division. Almost always, the bill goes on to its committee stage. My Lords, I beg to move that the House do now resolve itself into a committee upon the Bill. In the Lords, committee stage takes place either as a sitting of the whole House in the Chamber or in the Grand Committee Room. Committee stage in the Lords also differs from the Commons in that there are no formal set time limits, although the Whip's Office set days and dates for the stage, and any member can take part. Sometimes members put down amendments to find out why parts of the bill are written in a certain way. These are often known as probing amendments. For example, discussing proposed amendments can mean the minister must defend or explain how a section of draft law will work or provide further information on it. My laws, this is another thing on which I did not succeed in convincing the government to committee stage, but I listened very carefully to what the government has said and have made some changes. What I had been seeking to do was to ban the use of tasers by police in psychiatric wards. But since the government feels that it may sometimes be necessary to do that, what my amendment does is ask the government to specify very clearly in regulations what are the exceptional circumstances under which tasers should be used. If lots of amendments are put down, or the debate takes longer than expected, extra days may be added to the committee stage. Many members of the Lords have experience outside politics, which can prove helpful if the bill is in their area of expertise. 
Committee stage gives the Lords the opportunity to consider every part of the Bill, and they often do so in great detail. The next step is the report stage. As with committee stage, there are no formal restrictions on time, although report stage is generally half as long as committee stage. The Lords will often spend more time on this stage than the Commons can afford to. Most votes on bills in the Lords happen during report stage. In the Lords, it's especially important for members who are trying to make changes to government bills to build support across the various parties and with the crossbenchers. This gives them more of a chance of being successful in a vote on their amendment. Guidance is a step in the right direction, but it isn't enough. I urge the Minister to reconsider Amendment 67, and by accepting it, the Government will ensure that disabled people will enjoy the same right to travel as their able-bodied peers. It will secure a truly inclusive bus network for all its citizens. As at earlier stages, members of the public and pressure groups can get in touch with members of the House of Lords with a particular interest in the issue ahead of the report stage debates. And after report stage comes third reading. Third reading is the final opportunity to consider amendments. It's usually limited to tidying up the bill or allowing the government to make good on earlier commitments. Where earlier stages were about checking front to back, adding or crossing out sections, third reading is about housekeeping and plugging loopholes. In short, it's about crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Of course, after the bill has been passed by one house, then the other, there may still be points of difference between the two houses that have to be worked out. If the bill was passed first by the Commons, but then was later amended by the Lords, those Lords' amendments have to be put to the Commons too, and vice versa. This stage is often referred to as ping-pong because it can involve toing and froing between the Commons and the Lords as they try to reach agreement on the bill before it can become law. The bill might go back and forth between the two houses several times before any compromise is made. If both houses insist on their position without suggesting a compromise, the bill is lost and cannot become law. However, this is very rare as both houses generally try to find a compromise. And finally, once a bill has been passed by both houses with no more amendments to resolve, the bill receives its royal assent. The very last stage of a bill passing through Parliament is royal assent, which is the monarch's formal agreement. Essentially, this is when the bill becomes an act of Parliament. Today, royal assent is regarded as more of a formality. Although, in theory, the monarch could refuse their assent, this hasn't happened for over 300 years. Before we finish our description of the stages of a bill, we should also mention that since 2015, the Commons has been using a new procedure to make sure that when legislation only applies to England or England and Wales, it has the consent of most MPs from English or English and Welsh constituencies. This has involved an extra motion being passed by just these MPs before a bill's third reading or at the ping-pong stage. Next, let's bring Katie and Nicole back to find out about private members' bills. As I said earlier, Private members' bills are those bills that are introduced by backbenchers rather than by the government. So, is the procedure different for backbench bills? No. If private members' bills are to become law, they must also pass through all the same stages in both houses 
However, they're not given much time, so in reality, unless a private member's bill is supported by the government of the day, or widespread support across the parties in both houses is gathered, private members' bills are unlikely to make much progress. So why do backbenchers bother to introduce a bill at all? Well, over 100 private members' bills are introduced each year by backbenchers in both houses. Even though the majority aren't likely to become the law of the land, they can get debated, and therefore they are influential in raising the profile of the particular issue. So, if a backbench MP in the House of Commons wants to introduce their own bill, how do they go about it? At the start of a new parliamentary year, all backbench MPs are invited to enter a ballot. The 20 members who are lucky enough to be drawn can each bring in a bill of their choice. The ballot bills get the lion's share of the time set aside for debating private members' bills in the Commons. And of the few successful backbench bills each year, most started this way. Another way MPs can introduce a bill is the 10-minute rule. This allows that backbench MP to stand up and make their case for a new bill in a speech lasting up to 10 minutes in the chamber. Sometimes this is followed by a speech from another MP who disagrees. Then the House is asked to decide whether or not the bill should be introduced. If the MP is successful, the bill is taken to have had its first reading. But most backbench bills are simply introduced in the chamber without any debate, and these are known as presentation bills. MPs give advance notice to clerks of the short and long titles of the bill they plan to introduce. The bill is then formally presented in the chamber, just before the start of main business and after any questions and statements. In the House of Lords, members who intend to bring in a private member's bill can also take part in a ballot at the start of the parliamentary year. This decides the order in which the bills are to be introduced, but all bills that go into the ballot come out of the ballot. When time is scarce, it's an advantage to introduce your bill early in the parliamentary session. If a member wants to introduce a bill after the ballot has taken place, they can, but it will be introduced after all the other bills in the ballot and is therefore very unlikely to get a second reading. Of course, any private member's bill that manages to complete all its stages in one house still does need to be considered by the other house. So if a private member's bill is passed in the Lords, then that Lords member needs to find an MP to agree to take it forward in the Commons and vice versa. There also needs to be time found for it in the Commons, which can sometimes be a challenge. Here's a little challenge for you. Find the list of bills currently making their way through Parliament at services.parliament.uk forward slash bills. Choose a bill that's of interest and note the stage it's at. By looking at who is sponsoring the bill and how it was introduced, see if you can predict how likely the bill is to be successfully passed by Parliament. So we've heard about the hurdles a bill has to overcome before it can become law and the steps that Parliament takes to ensure that new laws have been thoroughly scrutinised. But now, let's consider the impact that legislation can have on people's lives using a series of short case studies. The Children and Families Bill was a government bill, which began in the House of Commons. It set out to reform the law in areas such as adoption, children in care, children with special educational needs, the family justice systems and workplace arrangements for people with parental responsibilities. While all areas of the bill were checked and debated, 
When the bill got to report stage in the House of Lords, a significant and high-profile amendment was put forward. This related to smoking in vehicles that carried children, an issue that had been widely campaigned on by a number of groups, including the British Lung Foundation. Members of the House of Lords argued that smoking in the confined area of a car was especially damaging to children's health because the toxic fumes are more concentrated than in an open space. Although the government raised some concerns about how the law could be enforced, the House of Lords voted in favour of including this new amendment in the final text of the bill. When the amended bill returned to the Commons, MPs voted to accept the change proposed by the Lords. As a result, smoking in vehicles that carry children became an offence under the Children and Families Act 2014 and was brought into force in October 2015. For our next case study, let's hear directly from the writer, director and activist Shango Baku. He arrived in Britain from Trinidad in 1962 and faced discrimination just trying to find a home. That was a rough time for me. I had to face certain realities. And some of those were in housing. You know, the ads in the shop windows still said, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. I think uh, laws that outlawed discrimination in public places were very important. And they came about because of the challenges that we face as immigrants and the response that we had. So there were all these excuses that allowed racism, uh, covert racism, to go on unchallenged. Once that legislation was in place, people found it a lot harder to do what they had been doing before. I think it still went on to some degree because laws don't change the minds of the people, not immediately anyway. But when there is uh, legislation in place, people think twice and they begin to think, am I wrong? Am I doing wrong? Are these people really, are their rights being violated? Can I do something different? I have to think differently, otherwise I'll fall foul of the law. So I think that legislation changed things positively for the better. The 1965 Race Relations Act made it illegal to ban persons from certain public places, such as swimming pools and hotels, on the basis of their skin colour. Since the 1965 Act, the UK Parliament has continued to pass laws that make the lives of people across the UK more equal, but it's an ongoing process. Most recently, the Equality Act 2010 consolidated and replaced existing anti-discrimination legislation. It outlawed discrimination on the grounds of nine protected characteristics, one of which is race. Passing new laws is one part of Parliament's job, but its ongoing work can include looking at the impact of laws that have already been passed. Finding out how new laws are working in practice is an important part of Parliament's role in the continued scrutiny of the work of the government. In episode four, we looked at the work of select committees. Let's now find out how one of these committees, the House of Lords Equality Act 2010 and Disability Committee, went back to look at how one protected group, disabled people, were faring under the new Equality Act passed a few years earlier. 
they found that the Act had, in fact, been failing disabled people. Let's let Baroness Campbell of Surbiton, who sat on the committee, explain. Throughout the period of the committee, over nine months, we began hearing from disabled people that it simply wasn't working in practice. It was felt that disabled people's voices had become very silent, whereas before, when it used to be the disability equality duty, disabled people were very much involved in public services, access, planning within their local authorities. But the red tape challenge seems to have squashed that. Now, if you want to get something right, it's so much better to involve disabled people. So they are the experts in their own situation. We call it nothing about us without us. And then normally, things get put right. In this example, it was public evidence that was essential in helping the committee see where and how this particular piece of legislation needed improvement. In this episode, we've taken a small snapshot of how legislation impacts our lives. We've heard examples of how the law can be significant in changing the behaviour and the mindset of society. And we've heard examples of where further work is needed. We've also discovered that our own expectations of what we want for our society now and in the future can help to redefine the law. For example, making it illegal to smoke in vehicles that carry children. Don't forget, if you have questions about lawmaking in Parliament, you can call the House of Commons Inquiry Office for free on 0800 112 4272 or the House of Lords Inquiry Service on 0800-223-0855. Callers with a text phone can talk through text relay by calling 18001, followed by either of these relevant full numbers. If you'd like to hear Parliament in Action, you can hear the Prime Minister's Question Time podcast by searching for UK Parliament on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening to Parliament Explained. I hope you've enjoyed the programme. Our final episode is all about you. We'll be finding out how the public can use petitions to get an issue onto Parliament's agenda and looking at some of the other ways for us all to have our say and play a part in the work of our Parliament. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. I'm Iris Ayal and I'll catch you next time.